We are on Yavamos Kuf Amal Aleph 100a, and we are continuing in the discussion of the Mishnah of what these Mishnahs are, are essentially discussing, where children get swapped as babies. They get swapped. We don't know who the mother is, and uh, it leads to uh, various uh, difficult situations to navigate. And so the Mishnah was discussing a case where there was a Kohen and the Evid and the slave of a Kohen, and um, essentially, the, they got mixed around. They got mixed around um, be, between the two, uh, because the the mother, uh, who was the wife of a Kohen, and the maid servant, they had children, and the children got switched up, and we don't know who's who. Um, and so the mission is discussed what would happen when the various ramifications. We don't know if it's a Kohen or whether it's a slave of a Kohen. And then it discusses what happens when you free the slave of a Kohen. So on that, the Gemara says, what do you mean, what happens if you free uh, both of them? Basically, you have to free both children because we don't know who is a slave and who is an actual Kohen. And so the Gemara says, Is it really true that you have the option to free? What do we have here? We have two people. And we don't know if they are a Kohen or if they are actually a uh, a slave uh, of a Kohen. Now that has very serious ramifications because they essentially, at this stage of the game, they cannot get married because the slave cannot marry a Jew, uh, a full-fledged Jew. The Kohen cannot marry a slave. And because we take on the stringencies of both so that we don't know whether or not uh, the, both of them cannot marry either one. And so if that's the case, what do you mean you... What, but once you free the slave, so then they can basically free both of them because you don't know who the slave is. So then it leads to a situation where they both could get married. They have to ma- they have to have the stringencies of a Kohen, even though one even though the one who's a slave is really now no longer a slave of a Kohen. He's a, now a Yisrael. He's fully Jewish as a Yisrael, and he's not a Kohen. But because we don't know which one's which, they have to take on the stringencies of a Kohen. But they can still get married. They just have to marry somebody who a Kohen can marry. Uh, so what does it mean that you have the option of freeing them? Because this is a very difficult situation where neither one can get married before you free them, so therefore it's not that it's if you free them, but it's that you have to free them. You must free them because otherwise uh, they cannot get married, so therefore we, you force, you have to free both of them, even though only one of them really has to be freed. Only one of them is a slave but because they don't know which one's which. So therefore you free both of them, and then they're able to get married as long as it's somebody who is able to marry a Kohen. Okay, after you free them, the Mishnah says at the very end that they have a whole list of ramifications that they have to take on the stringencies of both the person who's freed and somebody who's a Kohen. And then it ends off by just having a general line saying, and what they have on the stringencies of both. Now, that seems to be extra. So what is that coming to include? So the Gemara will explain that it's going to be discussing a very specific type of a sacrifice, of a korban. We know that there are animal sacrifices, but there are also minachos. There's also uh, flower offerings that are brought to the base of Medesh, to the temple. Um, and there's a difference between kohanim, a kohen, and a non-kohen when it comes to um, bringing a flower offering as a sacrifice. For a Yisrael, for a non-kohen, uh, basically it... You, you take a certain amount, it's the, 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 three, the three middle fingers, that amount that you could put together in your hand, 
Um, that's the kamitza, and and then the rest is really left over for the Israel to eat. The Israel can then eat the rest of it, as opposed to Kohen, a Kohen, the entire flower offering has to be brought on the temple, and they're not allowed to eat any of it. It has to be completely consumed by the fire on the temple uh, in the base of Migdash. And uh, just to, to, to point out, uh, one of the commentators explains what's the difference between a non-Kohen and a Kohen with regards to these sacrifices. We don't really find this anywhere else, because when it comes to a flower offering, it could potentially be confused as just a regular lunch, a regular piece of bread. And so the Yisrael, who's not really involved in the entire service, so for him to, uh, for there to be leftovers of that, so that's, that's still, they still understand that this is really a sacrifice. They happen to be having bread, but it's really a sacrifice. As opposed to the offering of a Kohen, uh, there's potential for it to get confused and make it, it looks like this is, you know what, this is just part of their regular uh, lunch and, uh, it's sort of it's uh, it's a disgrace to the sacrifice itself, and so therefore we say that for the kohen, because they're involved in the actual service, and they're they're completely part of it, therefore we say they cannot eat any of their of their uh, flower offering, and it has to be completely consumed by the uh, by the fire on the base of megdash. So the question is, well, now that we have a discrepancy between a yisrael and a kohen, well, after the slave is free, now he's or potential slave is free, these two people. One of them is Israel, one of them is a coin. We don't know which we don't know which one's which. So what do you do? What do you do in this situation where uh, the, the the big problem here is that you cannot put all of it you're supposed to put all of it if you're a coin, all of it should be consumed. If you're Israel, only part of it is consumed, the rest of it you could eat. So what do you do? And this is particularly difficult when it comes to the base of Migdash, when it comes to the temple, because there's in fact a prohibition to put extra. You can't just put extra and have extra be consumed. That's not allowed. And so there is a uh, counter value to not bringing it onto the temple, and that was that makes it pretty confusing in this in this scenario because on the one hand you should be bringing it, on the other hand you shouldn't. It depends on whether or not you're a Israel or a Kohen. So what do you do in this case? So the Gemara explains as follows: Amar Papa, Essentially, you treat it as like Israel's in the sense that you have to do kmitza, you take off. Uh, the uh, the amount of the three middle fingers that it could grasp into the hand, and so therefore you do that, which is what Israel does. However, the coin it's like a coin's offering where the coin cannot eat it. Uh, so then, what do you do with it? <laughs> what do you do with the leftovers? They can't eat it. So Akeza, Hakomitz Kari Batzman, Vashirayim Kraven Batzman. So Ikrikan Kolshim Menul Ishim Haribu Batatiru. If you offer it, if you bring the rest and you don't eat it, then you just bring it on and, and it's consumed. That is a violation of Baal Taktiru, something which is not supposed to be brought. Potentially, this is not supposed to be brought because potentially this person is not a Kohen. Uh, so then, it's in fact a prohibition. So what do you do here? So we'll have a few different suggestions, interesting suggestions. The of the opinion that even though it's true, Certain things cannot be brought. You cannot bring up extra things onto the mizbeach, onto the altar, and for it to be consumed by the fire. It has to be specifically that which is necessary for the sacrifice itself. However, he's of the opinion that if your intention is not for it to be brought up as a sacrifice, but your intention is that it it just adds to the fuel of the fire. It's there to add uh, to, to to increase the flame, but not for it to be consumed. And that's your intention. It's not about it being consumed like a sacrifice. But your intention is that it should cause a flame. So then that is allowed according to Rebbe Lezer. 
Now it is interesting because there is the, the, the laws of creating a fire is not just that you could create any fire whatsoever. It's specifically a fire of wood. That's really what's necessary. Over here you're not using wood, you're using just food uh, and it's being consumed. So uh, flour. So it's really not so simple. Maybe once you already have a fire from wood, so now you're allowed to use uh, other material to also increase the flame. So maybe that's what's going on here, although that is part, that is a little difficult. So that would solve the problem according to Rabbi Lazar. So that's true for Rabbi Lazar, who's a very unique opinion. But what do you do according to everybody else? According to everybody else, you can't just have in mind, have the intent that in the end of the day it's being consumed on the altar. It looks like a regular sacrifice. And if he's a Yisrael uh, and not a Kohen, so then this is really not allowed. Only for the Kohanim are you allowed to put all of it and supposed to put all of it uh, and be consumed. What are you going to do for Yisrael? And what if you cannot explain based on this position that um, of Rabbi Lazar that says that you're, as, you're in, as long as your intent really makes a difference, what if you don't hold like that? So the answer is no. Double like Rabbi Lazar, Rabbi Shimon. We follow this, they're following the, you can follow in this case, in this particular case, you can follow the position of Rabbi Lazar, Rabbi Shimon, who says what? This is now the, the Tanah of Rabbi Lazar, Rabbi Shimon, Omer, HaKomet Kerel Atma, Vashirayim is Pazir, not based on Dashan, Vafil Rabban, Lopliga, Lazar, Rabbi Lazar, Rabbi Shimon, Elabim, Minchas Chotesh, El Kohanim, the Basar Kravahi, Avil Hacha, Avil Rabbanan, Modu, there's a dispute between Rabbi Lazar and Rabbi Shimon and the Rabbanan and the rabbis in a very particular case about what happens in a very particular case. Um, and Rabbi Lazar, Rabbi Shimon has the idea that, you know, it, you, you don't leave the, the leftovers on the fire, but you have it to the side. Some place on the side, it's not exactly clear where on the side of the altar it is. There's different opinions with regards to that, where exactly it is. But towards the side, perhaps where the ashes are placed, the, uh, by the, uh, the pile where the ashes are placed, by the Hotza uh, Sadeshen, by removing of the ashes. And even though there's a dispute about that, but that's only when it, that has to do with a normal sacrifice. But in this case, where the leftovers is not a regular sacrifice, because maybe he's not a Kohen. This person, the two people, we're not sure who's a Kohen, who's not a Kohen. So because we're not sure, so then maybe uh, he's not a Kohen, and this is not really part of the sacrifices, so the Rabbana, the rabbis would agree, you cannot put it on the altar itself, and on the fire itself, but maybe you can put it on the side. Maybe you're allowed to put it on the side, and that would sort of navigate this, uh, help navigate the situation where we're not sure if this person is a Yisrael because he was freed as a slave or whether he's a Kohen because he was always born as a Kohen. The two kids got mixed up. So we don't know exactly what to do. In this case, it, co- it poses a significant problem because it's uh, there are counter values in this case about you can't just say put it on the on the fire because there's certain counter values. Um, you're not allowed to put extra onto the fire. And so a way to navigate this is, number one, either to hold like a blazer who says, your intent makes a big difference, and you can intend that it should act as as fuel and not as being consumed as a sacrifice. That's number one. A second answer is that with regards to, there's a certain dispute with regards to a different area, a different situation of bringing a sacrifice, where it's suggested that you place it on the side of the altar, so maybe a hoi or two. Uh, a solution would be a way, a way to sort of navigate this is to put the extra by the side of the of the mizbech, not on the fire itself, but towards the side. Okay, that's the end of the Gemara, and now let's begin a new Mishnah. Also, on a similar topic, we'll see it's not about uh, mixing up with the children after they're born, but uh, this, is the, this is the case. And the case is we don't know, we know who the mother is in the following case, but we don't know who the father is. So 
If you have a case where a person was married, in general we say if a person is married and then they get divorced or the husband dies, um, or even if they just uh, have sexual relations outside the context of marriage, in order for them to get married, married again, they have to wait three months. And the reason why you have to wait three months, especially in the times of the Gemara, is because you want to know who the father is. This is something that we've discussed in the past. You want to know who the father is. What happens if a person doesn't do that? So now you don't know who the father is. It's either a seven-month-old baby from the second marriage, or it's a nine-month-old baby from the first marriage because they didn't wait three months. Uh, when it comes to eight-month-old babies, that's a discussion that we've had earlier, that in the days of the Talmud, days of the Gemara, they didn't understand and they believed that uh, an eight-month-old baby will not survive. And so that's why it describes it as either seven months or nine months. But the point is, you don't know who the father is. That's the case. You don't know who the father is. But we know that each one, each ma- each father, each potential father, had other children from... from they had other, other children, right? Uh, they had other children. So what happens if those children die? Uh, so then there's a question, well, this might be a brother, might not be a brother from the father. So we don't know. So therefore, they, since we don't know, they have to do chalitza. They, they would have to do chalitza. Um, and you cannot do... Uh, you cannot do yibum. It's, you're not allowed to do yibum because they're also brothers from the mother. They're not just brothers from the father. They're also brothers from the mother. If this is not yibum, uh, so in the end of the day, you're still brothers from the mother, even if it's not your actual brother from the father's side, and it's not yibum, but you're still brothers from the mother, and then there's a prohibition to get married. And similarly, if he dies, if this person were not sure who his father is, he dies, so then brothers from both fathers would have to do, if he dies without any children, they would have to do chalitza to the sister-in-law. They cannot do yibam, uh, again for the same reason, because they're also brothers from the mother's side, so therefore they would have to do chalitza. What happens if uh, both fathers, they have other children, other other brother, other sons, but they're not from the from the same marriage, it's from a different marriage, so then it's a little easier. So, if the the brother, potential brother from the father's side, son, side dies, and it's not from the mother's side, so then he could do whatever he wants. The person who's in question, he could either do yibum or chalitza. He could do yibum because either it's actual yibum because it's his actual brothers from the father's side, and if it's not, so he's not related to him at all in any way, and so then it's just like a marriage. It's getting married to the sister-in-law. It's it's, uh, it's not even a sister-in-law. It's just getting married. Um, it's not viewed as a sister-in-law. And so you're allowed to do, allowed to do Yibam. When it comes to, the, let's say, this person who's in question dies, and then you have siblings, only paternal siblings, from the first guy, and from the first father, and from the second father. So then one has to do Chalitza, and then the other one can do Yibam. You need one to first do Chalitza to the sister-in-law, so that maybe the one who does Yibam was not really doing Yibam, and then it leads to a situation where she she marries somebody outside the context of doing yibum or chalitza, and so therefore the first person has to do chalitza. Once chalitza is down, done, now there's no longer a connection, and then you could do yibum, and either either that is the actual yibum because that's the right brother-in-law, and even if it's the wrong brother-in-law, they're getting married, and it's not a problem of marrying somebody from the outside because a chalitza already took place. Okay, now what happens if it's the following? What happens between the two fathers? We don't know who the father is. One is Israel and one is a Kohen. So this is basically very similar to the previous Mishnah where we don't know if this child, it's only one child, but we don't know if he's a Kohen or Yisrael. 
So the Mishnah, and we're going to do this quickly, the Mishnah says all the various ramifications that we've had in the last Mishnah continue to apply in this Mishnah. And so the, the Mishnah says, in this case as well, the Mishnah says as follows. So, no you have to marry somebody because we don't know if he's a Kohen or Yisrael, because one father was a Kohen, the other father was Yisrael. So therefore we say, uh, you have to have the stringencies, and you have to marry somebody, you can only marry somebody who is able to marry a Kohen. And he cannot, uh, just like a Kohen cannot come in contact with a with a dead person. So they can't come in contact with a dead person. But however, but they don't get punished for it because maybe he's not a Kohen. They're not allowed to eat truma. If they do, they don't pay it. Basically, they have all the stringencies. They cannot eat from the korbanos, from the sacrifices, because maybe they're not a Kohen. But if they're part of, uh, they could sell their truma. Because maybe they are a Kohen, therefore they don't have to get their truma away. Uh, all these various, we take on the stringencies of both, that maybe he's Israel, maybe he's a Kohen. The following is also very interesting. How you name Kohan? What happens if both fathers were Kohanim? Both fathers are Kohanim. So who owned an and Vehim owned an Basically, he has a stringency uh, for for a Kohen. Um, they are not allowed to go to uh, to uh, a cemetery unless it is um, unless it is a relative, an immediate relative. Uh, but there is a concept even before the cemetery of what we refer to as aninus. Before the actual mourning, the actual uh, expression of a velus of mourning, the day before the actual burial, uh, the day that the person passes away, there's a certain law that the Kohen cannot serve in the base of Megdash. They cannot serve in the temple. So if one of these fathers has a child who, um, or whether the father himself, there's two fathers, one of them dies, so we don't know if it's the actual father or not, we say that... Um, uh, we say that uh, we do apply aninus that they shouldn't serve in the base of mikdash. Out of concern, we say don't serve in the base of mikdash on that day, even though they're both kohanim. But because this might be the person's father, so they're not. If it was the father, they can't serve in the, on the day that the father dies. So to here, we take on the stringency and assume that they cannot say that they cannot serve in the base of mikdash. And similarly, if he dies, both fathers cannot serve in the base of mikdash because they're both kohanim. They cannot serve in the temple. However, uh, because we're not sure if he's a Kohen or not, therefore they cannot go to the actual uh, funeral and uh, come in contact with a dead body because maybe it's not a relative. And then we have Hu Eno Yorish. That's all dealing with Kohanim. Uh, it is interesting to note that there's a discussion. We discussed uh, whether or not uh, there's Aninus, whether or not uh, they serve in the temple after the death of a potential relative. We don't know. There's a discussion of whether or not there's an actual mourning. Do they have Shiva? Do they have mourning? Do they have Shiva in such a scenario where you don't know who the father is? It's one of two fathers. Do they sit Shiva or not? Uh, that, it, that is not clear. The Rush, one of the classic commentators, says that there is Shiva. Um, for a, a father, you're not sure if it's the father or not, but there is Shiva. The Mishnah continues on with cases where you don't know who the father is, not necessarily having to do with Kohanim. Uh, they're both Kohanim, but even if it's just you don't know who the father is, what happens in the following who in a Yorish son of Elohim Yorish and Oso? So if there's other brothers, and this question, this brother is questionably a brother or not, so he does not get part of the estate of the father. However, they get part of his estate. They divide up, his, if he passes away, 
the different brothers from the different fathers, they would divide up his estate because they are they should get half. Let's say this child hits. You're not allowed to hit your father. Well, we don't know who the father is. You're not allowed to curse your father. And let's say he hits or curses his father, so then he is not punished because we don't know if it's fa- is his father or not. Um, now it goes back to what happens if both fathers, we don't know who the father is, but both people are Kohanim. So the Kohanim, they have their week of serving. So he's allowed to serve in the base of Mikdash, in the temple, for either one. That's fine. Because he is for sure a Kohen. We just don't know who his father is, which father Kohen is his father. However, he cannot take uh, from the special portions that are given from the sacrifices to the Kohanim of that week. Because maybe he does not belong to that week. But if they both, both parents, both, they're not both parents, but one of them is the parent, we're not sure which one. They both belong to the same group that shows up. They, they grow up, they have different groups that go twice, two weeks a year. But if both fathers are part of the same group, so then certainly he's allowed to work in that during those two weeks of that particular group. And he's also allowed to receive um, the special uh, portions from the sacrifices that the Kohanim get for those two weeks because both fathers, or both potential fathers, are part of the same group. Okay, that is the Mishnah, and we'll begin with the Gemara in the next recording.